0: RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world so please check their website for details. Sleep essentials for running performance. Learn about the importance of sleep to a runner and how nutrition can influence quality of sleep, ultimately having a positive effect on training. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hello everybody, welcome back. I'm Aileen, and I'm here again as always with Karen. And uh, before we get started on today's topic, uh, we uh, will start with just sharing something about our health and nutrition and running. So our topic today is going to focus on sleep. So Karen, I just wondered um, if you have any problems with your sleep?
1: Um, Hi, Aileen. Hi, everybody. Um, actually now, no, I sleep like a baby and I get sort of, um, eight hours sleep a night. And it's very, very rarely that, um, I waken up during the night. But I have to say it's not, it hasn't always been like that. I remember, um, back actually when I was studying nutrition at the Institute of Optimum Nutrition with you, Aileen. And, um, it was, the study was so intense and so full on that i was finding that i was i was working late into the night and then getting up early and then back to study and it was just constant and i was just finding that i was getting less and less sleep and and the implications of that actually were quite profound and i think it's only in the last sort of two years that I feel as though I've started to get back into uh, a normal sleep pattern and and a feeling of restfulness when I first waken up, you know, for a long time afterwards. So for about five years, I was still feeling really groggy and tired when I, I woke up in the mornings, even though the study was over, but it just took so long to recover. And I remember during that time, I wasn't really aware of the impact it was having on me. It was just actually after I stepped out of it that I could see that my nutrition was suffering. I was sometimes making poor choices just to keep going. And also my training, I wasn't able to train so hard, train for so long. Um I was more susceptible to injury and I was really irritable. So lots of different signs and symptoms. Not just a few of them, Aileen. But I have to say now I'm so much, so much better how about you? Have you got any sleep uh, stories to
0: yeah, tell? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You, you sort of recall all those things that were, I suppose, stress related for you and, and also the disruption in a routine, uh, you know, and I think often that's something that can happen with people when they, they have uh, sleep disorders or disruptive sleep. It's just that they're not in a, a routine or they're, they're not following the body clock in the right way um mm. but yeah a bit like um you know you, you've you got good sleep now i'm i've always been one of those irritating people that falls asleep as soon as my head hits the pillow so i don't read i just more or less just put the light out and i'm out for the count um so that can be irritating for other people <laughs> <laughs> yes. but for me it's good for me it's good um but I do have to be conscious about what time I go to bed. Um, so I aim to be in bed by 11 p.m. I mean, sometimes I can go earlier, but I think 11 seems a good time for me. But I find that really only happens if I start to wind down about 7 p.m. So if I'm busy and, you know, if I'm working late, uh, particularly if you and I are doing you know we used to do those late um, Facebook lives it just stimulates me and then I'm wide awake and then I want to keep doing things um, and I can't wind down so I find that if I knock off work from about seven o'clock onwards and then relax and do relaxing things the evening that um, that helps me so mostly I sleep pretty well I do from time to time for some unknown reason, you know, there'll just be some one night I'll just have a disruptive sleep. And I think sometimes that's because I'm maybe not following my sleep pattern. So that, again, could be, you know, I've maybe not gone to bed at the right time and I just don't get into the right groove with my sleep. And I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm wide awake. Um, so if, if that happens, usually I'll do, um, you know, some breathing exercises. I find that quite helpful I might use inhale lavender, um, which is good. Um, and often I'll do a, a, a sort of relaxation meditation before I go to bed, which helps too. So I've got a few things that I can call on uh, to help me. Um, but, yeah, like you, sleep's like a number one priority for me, and I really notice the difference when, when it's not been good. Absolutely. So, So yeah, uh, we've got all got our challenges. Um, Mm -hmm. So today, as we you know we've alluded to, we're talking about sleep. And one of the reasons that we've picked on sleep as being a a topic that we thought would be really useful for everybody to think about is because um, it's part of the performance triangle, which we did talk about in way back at the beginning, in episode one, uh, which was the the episode about personalising nutrition. And the thing about the performance triangle, uh, as you would imagine, it's there's three sides to the triangle. Uh, there's nutrition, training, and the third side is sleep and rest. So we thought it would be really good to look at the sleep and rest portion of the triangle today. Um, and the thing to really bear in mind is the triangle is of three equal sides. So that means that you're the attention and focus you should give to the triangle is equal on each of the sides. So they're all interconnected. And like you said earlier, you know, when you sleep is poor, it does affect things like your training ability and making the right food choices. Um, so it's, it's really important, isn't it? Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So
0: because it's such a big topic, uh, as every topic seems to be, we always seem to be saying this, don't we, Karen? This is a really big topic, yes, but, I know. but it is. Um, so that we're gonna cover three aspects today. Um, so why is sleep important for a runner? How can nutrition influence sleep? And what are the effects of training? Um, so if we start off with um why is sleep so important, Karen, can we break it down a little bit and start off with why do we sleep?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, Aileen. Why do we sleep? So so sleep in humans, clearly sleep in animals is quite different, but sleep in humans is defined um, as a, a complex but reversible uh, behavioural state where an individual is perceptually disengaged from and unresponsive to their environment. So clearly it's 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 reversible. So it's just for a period of time. And um, sleep health, in fact good sleep health, because clearly there's bad sleep health as well, and um, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, Aileen, but good sleep health um, is characterised as having sufficient sleep for an appropriate duration and feeling satisfied afterwards. So a bit what we were a bit about what we were just speaking um, about, Aileen, sort of when we've had the eight hours and we've followed our own sleep hygiene, we feel sort of satisfied and energized when we get up um, in the mornings. Um, And this and and by having the appropriate amount of sleep, it allows for high efficiency and sustained alertness. During the waking hours, so th- that's sort of the the definition mm. of sleep,
0: yeah, I like that that concept of sleep health and and as she said, you know we we all know sleep's really important, but it's really great just to have it um you know explained to us in a in a succinct way so that that's helpful yeah. Karen but you you mentioned there about having a pro an appropriate duration of sleep, and we know that it it varies through our life stages so um, adolescents actually need quite a lot of sleep, and most of us will know that. Um, but they really do. It's not just that they're being lazy. They need more sleep than the rest of us, so probably between <laughs> 8 and 10 hours, maybe even longer. Um, adults vary between sort of 7 and 9 hours. And actually older adults, it seems that they need a little bit less sleep uh, between 7 and 8 hours. Um, so we all need a different amount of different times in our life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really good point that you bring that up, that, that sort of the different age stages do need a different amount of sleep. And, and for that sleep to be restorative, it's worth remembering that it, we need to be having these set hours of sleep consistently. So it's no, there's no point in just having good sleep once a week or twice a week. It needs to be consistent for it to be restorative. Mm,
0: just like everything really, isn't it? Everything that we talk, we talk about, about health, it's all about consistency. Um, so you, you mentioned sort of at the beginning, Karen, that sleep is important for efficiency and alertness during the day. But are there any ways that you would describe it being as important for physical and psychological health?
1: Yes, absolutely. So sleep's important in so many ways, um, but it's best known to have a restorative effect on um, on the immune system and also the endocrine system. So the endocrine system being um, the hormone system. Um, and because of the, the support with the immune and the endocrine system, this could potentially help reduce the risk of infection and inflammation um and and this could be sort of heightened um during that sleep early in the night because that's known to that time is known to reduce the actions of cortisol and as we know cortisol um can increase our risk of infections uh, if we've got high cortisol rev- levels we've got uh, increased um susceptibility to infections and if that's sort of Ongoing and chronic elevation, then it can lead to inflammation as well. So again, sleep really important for controlling cortisol levels. Uh, But sleep's also known to um, have a key role in our mood, um, also in our learning and and memory, Um, and also that cell communication within the brain. Okay. So really important for the physical and the psychological. Mm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, people do talk about sleep being, you know, the thing that underpins all health. And, you know, as you've said, there are so many different areas. If we don't get our sleep, we're affecting lots of different health areas of the body systems and and how we, we function and perform. So um, now that we know a few more of the reasons of why we need to sleep, um, could you just tell us a little bit about what you think the consequences of poor sleep are, so what poor sleep would, would lead to?
1: And as you can imagine, the consequences are are wide and varied. Just from what we've spoken about already, and sort of that neurological, so that the brain and the endocrine effects appear to be the most significant, um, and and sort of the effects and 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 the the way that they're affected is regarding the metabolism of carbohydrates. So therefore, the, the glucose metabolism. And as we know, glucose is so important for us as runners. So, so really, um, that the effects of poor sleep and our performance is going to be quite significant. It also can have an effect on appetite. So for some people, it might increase their appetite, for others, it might reduce their appetite. And linked to that would be energy intake. So some people would take on too much, others too little. And sort of linking those together, thinking about what we said way back in the beginning about the poor choices that we can make. So it might be that people are not taking on enough, but what are the choices that they are making? Are they going to support their, their physical and psychological health with the reduced sleep, or is it going to um, exacerbate the physical and psychological symptoms because they're making poor food choices? And also sleep is really important for protein synthesis, so again if you're not getting enough sleep it's going to impact on that muscle building and the the risk therefore potentially the risk of injury um and poor repair of muscle after after a running mm. and again linking back to the brain there's that reduced cognition so 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 to um that thinking part of the brain so so difficulty in concentrating difficulty in focus and again that difficulty in learning so really far and wide um um aspects are 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 affected by poor sleep
0: yeah and you know they're not just um health related it's like performance related from what you're saying there karen so you know hopefully Mm -hmm. as the runners who are listening are thinking yeah there's really good reasons i can understand now why the rest and sleep part of the triangle is important you know as you said for the energy production appetite management energy um intake and, and also helping with um muscles and cognition so it was really powerful reasons to get to bed early and get good quality sleep so so Karen before we move on um just can I ask you if you think there's any female factors that we need to consider with regards to sleep
1: yeah actually Aileen um just recently I was reading an article um that suggested women require 20 minutes more sleep than men So there's a leading expert in sleep science in the UK called Dr. Jim Horne, and he suggests that it's because women tend to multitask, therefore they're using more of their actual brain than men. Because, you know, (laughs) I know it tends to be a bit of a joke, isn't it, that women are always multitasking and men can only think focus on one thing at a time. Now, whether that is a uh, fair I'm not sure but it, it is widely spoken about um but it is suggested because they are used they are always multitasking women therefore using more of the brain that it need, it leads to a greater need for sleep mm. and it, because it's thought that the more you use your brain during the day the more it needs to rest whilst you're asleep but like I say you know this is not always the case there's going to be potentially women who don't use the brain or don't multitasking can only do one thing at a time. So it is a bit of a generalization, but it was just interesting to, to read it. And he also proposed that, um, Although women require more sleep, generally, and they were not getting it due to various reasons, sort of disturbed sleep because of pregnancy. Um, Also, menopausal symptoms can lead to disrupted sleep. I'm thinking there about the night sweats, Uh, worry. And again, that could happen to, to both sexes. And, and then husband snoring was, uh, was another aspect he brought <laughs> up, but then women's, women do snore as well. So again, that could be both sides. So, but I can definitely relate to the snoring. My husband's always waking me up during the night because of the snoring. So. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to really thank you for sharing that with everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's, yeah it's, it's really right. in-
0: yeah. it's really interesting that, um, women need more sleep but i would imagine that in actual fact men get more sleep when, than women generally <laughs> even <laughs> without all of those other things going on um i i actually attended a sleep seminar last year and it was really uh, interesting and one of the things i learned was that the cumulative amount of sleep you get over a day is important as a long sleep period because everybody's a bit fixated on i've got to get my seven or eight hours and that's not possible I mean, it's it would be um, an ideal scenario. But what they were saying is, if you needed to make up, so say you only got six hours at night time, but you then got another one or two hours during the day, that would be as, as important as um, not not totalling it up. If you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. this was sort of like relating back to the the days gone by when, you know, we were maybe working in the fields and we slept in two chunks of time. So, you know, apparently hundreds of years ago, people would have got up and maybe at three o'clock in the morning and then have maybe worked until maybe nine or ten um, to, to do farm work. And then they would have had a rest and then gone out and done some more. Um, so that was the sort of, um, thought, the theory behind it. And the other thing that I remember quite clearly, um, during this, um, seminar was that lecturer explained to us that napping in elderly, uh, people is neuroprotective. So it's actually helping protect your brain function. And, um, so that, that was quite good as well for me to know, you know, because often you, you get concerned about elderly relatives that maybe seem to be snoozing a lot. But, you know, when they explained, well, that's actually quite helpful for them, I thought that was good, you know. So it it just shows that there are, you know, productive times when you sleep and it's good to, uh you know, so maybe having a short nap for some of us is a good idea. You know, if you've had a, particularly I think for maybe young parents as well, you know, that they've got, <laughs> they've got a lot on the sleeping yeah. when the baby sleeps or, you know, needing to catch up on it at different times of the day, I think it's good to know that. That's a positive thing to do.
1: Mm. And I'm just thinking of the Spanish there as well, because they're, you know, they're they're historically have a siesta, don't they? Mm. So there's something important in that by the sounds of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, could we move on now, Karen, and think about the interconnection between sleep and nutrition? Uh, because we both know that nutrition can have a positive influence or a negative influence, depending on what you're doing. Um, so maybe we could take a bit, look at the negatives first. And the things that sort of come to mind would be caffeine and alcohol intake as being negative factors. What What are you thinking about that, Karen?
1: Yeah, no, I would completely agree with that, um, alien. So uh, looking at caffeine, um, it's thought to delay the onset of sleep, but also, um, reducing the total amount of sleep and sleep quality. So it's a, it has a huge effect on sleep. Um, and as we know, when we have poor sleep, we tend to reach for the coffee. Mm-hmm. So we then can get into this vicious circle of, of caffeine consumption. So that, I think that's really, you know, and, and I think also it's difficult then to break that cycle. Um, so so, what about you, Aileen? Would you have anything to add to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I had quite an interesting experience last year when I was running um, a workplace wellbeing programme with a group that were predominantly male. And they were men sort of in the, I would say late twenties to forties, mostly. And a lot of them had young children. So sleep um, deprivation was quite high. And what we identified with that group was the caffeine uh, intake that you were talking about earlier. And, you know, that was a bit of a survival mechanism. Um, but when we delved into it and, and gave them some advice, a lot of them tried to uh reduce their caffeine intake. And one of the things that we suggested was to try and reduce caffeine after midday um, because that was having it's it's you know there are some people that caffeine later in the day can affect because it takes quite a long time to metabolise caffeine out of your system. Um, so a lot of them took that on board and stopped drinking caffeine after midday. And we we did sort of um some questionnaires and surveys with them at the end of a three-month program and sleep improvement was one of the highest improvement markers that we measured in that group and that was just through a simple switch they were still drinking the coffee but they were taking it earlier in the day um and i've had a look at a few different uh areas of uh, research papers on that and it it the advice seems to be work backwards from what's your normal bedtime and try to take your your last cup of coffee 12 hours before bedtime um, for most people. So that was um, quite an interesting experiment that we did and it seemed to really help those that group of people.
1: Yeah, really powerful actually. And then sort of building on that, you also have um, sort of your responders and non-responders, don't you? So mm. some people might be able, I know you were saying work backwards and sort of 12 hours um, before sleep, then thinking about stopping caffeine then, which I think is a really good rule of thumb, actually, for everybody. But then you do get some people who are going to be more sensitive to caffeine than others. So there may be a small group of people who can have it slightly later, but certainly not into the evening, because it's interesting. You, you say uh, about that study you did daily and I was reading some research where and this, I suppose, would um, be for the non-responders. They, they, there was a piece of research done that um, although people were saying, oh, it doesn't caffeine doesn't affect me. I still sleep well, blah, blah, blah. Um, they they did this research sort of looking at the delta waves when people were asleep. And they were finding that the delta wave reactions um, were still affected um, even when people felt that they had slept well. So so suggesting that actually they weren't sleeping as deeply as they would have done if they weren't having the caffeine.
0: Yeah, interesting. Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm. when you were saying about
0: responders and non-responders to caffeine, I, it, you know, some of us are genetically um, programmed to be able to metabolise caffeine more easily than others, aren't we? So that was what you were mm. meaning by that. And exactly. And I'm somebody that, yes. you know, I could have a cup of coffee after dinner in the evening and feel that it doesn't affect my sleep. But maybe there are other things going on that I'm not aware of. Um, so I, mm. I I tend to follow the advice and I wouldn't have a, I would more likely have a decaf if I was going to have one in, in the afternoon or evening. Yes. But, um, yeah, there are some people, you know, that they're absolutely shocked that you would even, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. And that they're the people that obviously have noticed that there's a big effect for them. Um, it yeah, one
1: of those daily.
0: yeah are you <laughs> yes <laughs> I you. You yes i don't stuff have stuff coffee
1: after. I love my coffee yes but I wouldn't have one after probably about midday because I mm. know that it will affect my sleep especially if it's because I like my coffee black and I like mm. it strong so I just have to be so careful yes, yeah. yeah
0: and alcohol mm. you know again it has a similar effect and um, so that reduces the quality as well as the quantity of sleep um and it's thought to increase sleep disturbance in the second half of the sleep cycle. Um, so, again, it's sort of, you know, just be careful. And if, you, if you're noticing that you have got a disturbed sleep pattern, look at what you're eating and drinking during the day and see if that's having an effect on you. Um, so just um, before we move on, to you know the other mm-hmm. topics in the, the conversation currently are there any other sort of nutritional negative effects that you you would want to share with people
1: yeah just one. you were saying there, because we've spoken about fluids really haven't we and you mm. were just saying about what we drink and what we eat during the day and i would just sort of say there that that it has been shown also that if you eat a really big meal late at night, then that can have an influence in sleep as well, the quality of sleep, the depth of sleep, and also the length of sleep. And it's thought that that's principally um, due to that digestive process because the, the, the body should be resting and digesting, not actually dealing with new food coming into the system as you go into sleep. So just making sure that um, if you do have something later at night, that it is something lighter and not a heavy meal. Mm. That's all I would add.
0: Yeah. And I think that would be useful for people to know who tend to be evening runners. Um, You know, so if you're a person that does your endurance run in the evening, you might be having your evening meal later. So um, thinking about what you choose to eat for that evening meal would be quite important. So it is easily digestible and maybe even thinking about splitting your evening meals here some before and some after you run would make it easier to digest as well um so karen what um what are the positives let's think about what aspects you think would be key for good sleep health from a nutrition point of view
1: yeah the key ones i would say um for me anyway uh, like i say other people might have different ideas different approaches but i think the key ones um for nutrition aspects for good good sleep health are the macronutrients so that's the carbohydrates proteins and fats and thinking about uh, what you're eating and the timing of 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 those um foods also the micronutrients thinking especially around the the B vitamins and magnesium antioxidants as well are are really supportive um for sleep and also certain fruits especially kiwi and tart cherries which have been uh, well researched actually in in their effects of inducing sleep.
0: Mm. So there's there's quite a lot of things we could do so do you want to take us through the macronutrients Karen what you think is important there and then I'll have a little overview of the micronutrients in a minute or two.
1: Yeah yeah that sounds like a plan Aileen. Um, so regarding the macronutrients um, sort of re- research again has shown that having some high glycemic index foods, so that quick release carbohydrate foods, roughly about an hour before bedtime um, may help induce sleep. So um, therefore um, a person may be able to fall asleep quicker. In fact I've got a client a new client that um, I'm, I'm seeing this evening and they're they one of their um, issues is around sleep. so I'm really going to be taking some of this information we're discussing to that consultation tonight and looking at ways of of supporting sleep for that individual. Um, so so really thinking about, the, the timing of the foods about an hour before bedtime, having a quick release carbohydrate food, but just making sure that what the foods that you choose are healthy options. So maybe something like fruit, for example, maybe some berries or the, the orchard fruits like apples and pears, which have good levels of quick release carbohydrates, but they're not they're not the um, exotic fruits which have really high levels and might sort of um, lead to uh, a spike in insulin and um, and and cortisol because we don't want that at bedtime. So it's really thinking about the different fruits that that you could uh, that you could choose regarding protein. Um, dairy sources of protein have been shown to increase the length of time of sleep. Now that's maybe due to the levels of melatonin that naturally occurs in, um, in cow's milk. Now melatonin, I'm sure lots of people is, have heard of that. So that's the neurotransmitter in the brain that helps induce sleep. And apparently you can get what is known as nighttime milk. So it's when it's, it's milk that are from cows that have been milked um during the night and that's apparently um enhances the melatonin content so and also with protein um it could be linked to tryptophan content so tryptophan is a is an is an amino acid that um gets converted by the the body into serotonin and then which is then further converted into melatonin. So that, that neurotransmitter to that will support sleep. Um, and, and dietary sources of tryptophan to, to think about include the milk and milk products, predominantly sort of the whey part of milk, but also turkey is known to be really high in tryptophan. And then also the likes of chicken, um, fish, eggs pumpkin seeds leafy green vegetables has a small amount as well so so what you can see here is because pr- both the carbohydrates and the proteins are are supportive of sleep you could have a combined snack a combined protein carbohydrate snack so for example you could maybe have some fruit with some seeds or with some yogurt whatever suits you um, to support to support sleep and that would also help reduce that insulin spikes as well because you've got the protein added in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, they're kind of um sort of bedtime snacks. I would suggest uh, things like cottage cheese and an oat cake. So, you know, you've got that uh dairy element that you mentioned earlier. I'd never heard of nighttime milk, so that's quite interesting. <laughs> who makes that, who produces that. But um and the other um one that sometimes I suggest is the you can get the you mentioned the cherries, so there are there's um a cherry juice um that is particularly uh useful for and again that's something that you could maybe just dilute in a little bit of water and take that. Um, as a, a nighttime snack. So I think it, it's one of those ones that is worth trying, but not everybody needs it. I think it really depends on their individual situation. Um, so I had, I had a client um, who I worked with who had difficulties sleeping for long periods. So what was happening with her was she was waking up in the middle of the night and not, not able to get back to sleep. Um, and I felt that it was probably related to a blood sugar imbalance that was happening overnight. So what we did was we introduced a light protein carbohydrate snack before bedtime. And honestly, it was just like the magic switch. You know, within a few days, she was able to sleep six to seven hours without waking up. So, you know, I think it's definitely worth trying. I think the only thing I would caution people against is, you know, particularly if you're watching, uh, what you're eating with regards to managing body composition, uh, you have to be careful that you're not overloading your energy intake and, and making sure that you're doing it in a way that's, um, going to help your blood sugar balance, not sort of uh, disrupt it. So. Yeah, I think it's um, something worth trying out and just testing in a small way mm. if to it, see if it's any help to people. Um, so, what about, um, you know, fat as a micronutrient, Karen? Does that have any role to play?
1: Well, actually, with fat, it's thought that it negatively influences sleep. Um, they're not, they're unsure. Why that is that it, that it's negative. But, um, what they just suggest is that you avoid having it in the evening, maybe having it if you're having an early dinner and it's part of that meal, but certainly not after eight o'clock at night. Um, just making sure that what you're having at, at, at that point and later is, um, is a mixture of the, the protein and the carbohydrates that we have spoken about. So, so alien moving on from the macronutrients and thinking about the micronutrients, can you tell us about the ones that you know are, are known to support sleep? Yeah, well, I the main
0: ones are the range of vitamin B, and B vitamins, of which there are many. Um, so making sure that your um, food plan is optimal in these areas would really help and maybe you might need a nutritional therapist to make some suggestions if you thought you were deficient and, and they, they would look at um, supplements for you. So uh, B12, which um, is mostly from animal foods, um, would uh, influence melatonin secretion. So if you were deficient in B12, that might be um, an underlying reason for um, poor sleep. Um B6 and B9 are involved in the making of serotonin from tryptophan. So you mentioned earlier, Karen, um, tryptophan gets made into serotonin, which then gets made into um, melatonin. So it's important that you've got the right um, vitamins and minerals to help those steps happen. So uh, making sure that you've got optimal levels of B6 and B9. And then the other B vitamin, which is quite important, is B3. Um, and B3 um, is produced by the body from tryptophan um, and it's used in um, synthesizing serotonin to melatonin. So the the thought process behind this is if you you haven't got optimal B3, um, your body is going to prioritize the B3 into um, making serotonin and melatonin. So the idea is if you have a little bit more, then the body has to make, then you're going to have enough to go around for all of the processes. So they, where you would mostly get the, the wide range of B vitamins, uh, and would be through, um, meat and poultry and fish and nuts and rice and avocados, whole grain foods. Um, and you, you don't need huge quantities of it. And that's why it's best just to think about having a wide and varied diet. Um, uh, but if, if you were, um, you know, if sleep was an issue or you maybe had energy production um, symptoms, that might be something that you would want to look into in a little bit more detail. Um, The other one that I just think is really important to mention, and you already mentioned, Karen, is magnesium. Um So magnesium is believed to enhance the melatonin secretion, which promotes the sleep onset. Um, it also uh, supports... A transmitter called GABA, and again, that's known to induce a calming effect. So magnesium is known as sort of nature's tranquilizer. So it does help relax you and um, stress. Uh, if you're under a lot of stress, you tend to use up a lot of magnesium. So if your magnesium levels aren't optimal, you can see how it might have a knock-on effect on your sleep. Um, and another tip is if you're if you're supplementing with magnesium. Um, take it in the evening uh, before bedtime, and that also can help you promote sleep. Um, so, those would be my two uh, main things to say: the B vitamins and, and magnesium. And Karen, if you've got anything else you would like to add to that,
1: now, the only thing I would add briefly, uh, Aileen, is you know we were speaking earlier about the, the tart cherries and how they're supposed to be really supportive of, of sleep, and that is supposed to be due to the melatonin content that's naturally found in tart cherries um and then the the other fruit that's been well researched is kiwi fruit and um and it's supposed to have a good level of um serotonin in it so these are quite good fruits to think about having for that evening snack like you were saying you use the the cherry juice with your um with your clients, um, and so that, or having the the kiwi fruit with a little bit of cottage cheese with it actually, mm. or having it with a little bit of yogurt, something like that might be a good idea as, a, as an evening snack.
0: Yeah, and I think with all of these things, you know, it, it's unlikely that if you just start eating a, a kiwi fruit... <laughs> Every day it's good that's going to be the thing that makes a difference. It's a cumulative effect of lots of different things that are gonna help, but all of these things will contribute. so I think that's what you've always got to think about in nutrition having um, small amounts of things regularly help balance and contribute to the overall picture um, so that's that's a good way of thinking about it I think. um so um, we've sort of talked here about some of the the foods um and the nutrients which will help promote sleep and um, we've also talked about some things which might Disrupt sleep. Um, so, you know, as I said earlier, sleep nutrition is very personalised, and you've got to take into account your whole health picture. Um, we've not focused much um, on sleep hygiene, and that's something that probably people will have heard about. So, sleep hygiene is about creating a good bedtime routine, not doing anything to brain stimulants in the evening. You know, so so think about calming thing so again you know when you're planning your running if you're somebody i'm always surprised when i see people going out for runs at nine o'clock at night and i know that they're doing it probably because it's the only time of day that they're able to do it but i do wonder what happens to people after that you know will they rest properly when they get home um you know obviously i don't know what their life is but again it's just something to to bear in mind Mm. and also thinking about having a restful bedroom environment and there there are tons of articles out there um you know on the internet if you want and book lots of books about things that you can do to help get that good sleep hygiene and i think the thing is with sleep hygiene if you get all of that in place then you know that it's not the sleep hygiene that's causing you the problem and that that allows you to dig a bit deeper into what else might be going wrong um or things that you might be able to do to Balance your sleep. Um, if you've still got a problem, okay. So, um, just we've come to the moment in the in the episode where we're just going to talk a little bit about um, what Karen and I do. So, a short advert break. Um, so, we uh, we run uh, run as Health Hub. And it's where Karen and I offer a range of services to help you be fitter, faster and stronger. And we'd love you to have a look at the the Runner's Nutrition Zone, which uh, is where we host our online program. And in that online program, you'll find lots of short videos, recipes and downloads, as well as invitations to live training sessions, which will, are all there to help you put easy nutrition into practice. So the videos are short, you know, they're only about 15 to 20 minutes. So quite easy to listen in quickly and and get some tips and some action points that you can put into plan. And then there's lots of resources for you um, to look at to help you uh, do your menu planning and to um, organize your nutrition in an easy way. So if that's of interest to you, um, please have a look at Runners Health Hub. That's hub.com. And uh if you've got any questions, you know where we are, just drop us a, a line and we'll help you out. So uh moving on, Karen, we'd like to just mm-hmm. focus on the third aspect of sleep um that we talked about right at the beginning. Uh and that's uh what are the effects of um poor sleep or good sleep on on training? Um so we've not got a huge amount of time to discuss all these interlinking effects, Karen, but I'd just like to start. First of all, with thinking about what are the primary negative effects on training of poor sleep.
1: Yeah, well, top of my list would be um, poor recovery. And this, I think, would link back to that impaired glucose metabolism that we mentioned much earlier back at yeah. the beginning. Um, and if we've got impaired glucose metabolism, that's going to affect the glycogen, um, repletion. So that's stored energy, sort of repleting that afterwards going to be, um, is going to be impaired and um, also reduce protein production, um, might occur, which would affect recovery and repair of muscles, as well as reduce that adaptation to the, to the training that's just been, been performed, which ultimately is going to affect performance. And I think also sleep deprivation has been associated with increased catabolic and reduced Anabolic hormones. So that catabolic being sort of the catabolic hormones being the ones that break down muscle and the anabolic hormones being what the ones that build muscle. So having an increase in the catabolic, but a reduction in the an, anabolic, which is going to affect that muscle protein synthesis that we want for building lean muscle, for keeping us strong and powerful. And again, that's going to uh, affect recovery. And it's also um, potentially going to blunt the, the, the training adaptation. So we, we train to, to um, get the body to adapt and become stronger and more powerful. And that's, that adaptation is going to be blunted if, um, if, if sleep is, um, is, is hampering our, our abilities to perform well. Well, more
0: powerful reasons to get to bed early. That's what I'm thinking. Um, so so we're sort of coming to the end now, Karen, but I just, you know, listening to what you were saying there, I just wanted to remind everybody that although, um, you know, poor sleep may blunt these training adaptations and diminish recovery on the opposite side, optional nutrition may help improve sleep. And then therefore you would be improving recovery and, and improving training. Um, so, so there we have it, the sleep side of the performance triangle. And I think, um, Karen, you've helped us all uh, identify some really good reasons for, for promoting good sleep and making it a really um, key part of our, um, training plan. Um, and it'll also, you know, enhance our, our health too. So there's lots of good reasons. Um, but just as a, a quick roundup, as always at the end, could you round up the top takeaways from today's episode?
1: Yeah, sure, Really. So the top takeaways, I think, from this episode would be that sleep's important for everyday health as well as running performance. Just to bear that in mind, poor sleep can affect recovery from training, but also blunt those training adaptations. Carbohydrates and protein rich foods consumed early in the evening may help support sleep or even um, eaten as a, as a snack later in the evening, about an hour before going to bed to support sleep. Um, quick release carbohydrate and proteins primarily from dairy products have been shown to be the most beneficial, but just remember to keep, keep them healthy as we were speaking about earlier. Um, Any food consumed in the evening, make sure it is eaten at least an hour before bed. So um, there's no point in having your your snack that we've spoken about that may support sleep if it's right before bedtime, because then you potentially are going to have the digestive um, situation that will delay sleep. So it might be counterproductive. Remember, eating too much, too late can have adverse effects on sleep, like I've just said. And just think about your choices of foods, thinking about the kiwi, fruit and the tart cherries as as potential good choices. And also thinking about your magnesium and B vitamins, ensuring that you're getting um, sufficient amounts of those to help support the serotonin and melatonin production. And finally, um, try and ensure that you get approximately eight hours sleep per night and making sure that that's consistent.
0: Mm. That's really important final message, isn't it? Consistency. Um, so, so thanks, Karen, for another enlightening conversation. And remember, everybody, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now.